Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tom Kang. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. All right, welcome to Liquid Church, everyone. I'm Pastor Tom, and today we are approaching the final stretch of this awesome series, God is Greater Than Cancer. This is a series where actually across all of our campuses, Morristown, New Brunswick, Nutley, Mountainside, people have been taking steps of faith towards the one who knows every single cell in our bodies, towards the one who created us fearfully and wonderfully in his image. In fact, if you were here last week, you probably heard Pastor Tim share an incredible story about our friend Rosalie. See, Rosalie is a mother of two children who was in an accident recently, and she lost feeling in her legs, okay? She actually arrived to church at one of our services in a wheelchair, and long story short, she was later able to stand up and walk for a little bit in this very ballroom that many of you are sitting in right now. So we continue to pray for her absolute full recovery. That's actually an incredible thing, and we're thanking God for that. But you know something? Uh, it, it didn't stop there. God, uh, there were other God sightings all over the place. In fact, some of us pastors, we got together earlier in the week, and we're just kind of sharing here and there, and here's the thing. God is totally on the move. Like in Mountainside, a woman named Sonia came up for prayer on behalf of a family member, and before you know it, she was soon surrounded by other folks in, in her immediate family, and they started praying together. It was a beautiful moment because that doesn't happen every single day. But check out this email she sent the following morning. This is what she wrote. She said, I have some great news. Sharon is home from the hospital. What a great day. That's all I can say. After the service, all I felt was immediate peace. It was definitely an emotional kind of day, but all good. Praying with my family was such a wonderful thing to experience. Thank you for all your support. It means the world to me. Have a blessed week. Isn't that awesome? You know, meanwhile, in New Brunswick, we had Patty. Patty serves there as the connections coordinator. She has been doing that for the last three years, which is why what she said really stuck out in my mind. Here's what she said. She said, the best Sunday I've ever ever experienced here at Liquid. Definitely felt the Holy Spirit this weekend in a whole new way. I think our campus overall felt this today, and I'm praising God for that. Can we just join her in praise a little bit and thank God for that? That is absolutely amazing. God is doing something in our midst. I mean, lives are changing, whether it's physical or also spiritually and emotionally. People are taking steps closer to God. These are truly special days, which is why I want to be very careful. I don't want to take anything away from that. But you know something? <laughs> uh, there's a flip side to this coin, actually. It's, it's a side that no one really wants to talk about. It's like this big elephant in the room, and we all just kind of want to ignore it. And that big elephant, it, it goes something like this. Well, what about the people who didn't get healed. What about their prayers? For example, in Nutley, Pastor Peter was sharing a heartbreaking story about a young woman only in her 30s who's suffering from early onset dementia. Uh, she's lost uh, her, her verbal skills there and, and with broken hearts. 
They started praying for her and asking for healing, but you know what? Nothing really happened. Why, God? Why would you allow this to happen to someone? You know, I'll be honest, here in Morristown, I had a similar experience when for the second week in a row, a young man came down the center aisle, and I got to pray with him, and he was suffering with just really bad depression. He was really deep in there. And I just started praying for him. That's uh, two weeks ago, this is. I started praying for him, and, and you know what? The next week, last week, I saw him again. It was me and him again. We're praying in this very room, and I'm just praying for his depression. And guess what happened? absolutely nothing, nothing at all. I mean, why, God, why would you allow this to happen? Why does God answer some prayers and not others? See, that's the question I want to address today in a message I'm calling the theology of pain. Why do some people experience God's power to miraculously heal while others never experience any of that at all, and they continue to struggle with chronic pain. See, for the past few weeks, whether you realize it or not, Pastor Tim has actually, he's, he's done a great job of leading us through the theology of healing, and it's been absolutely incredible. But today, I'd like to examine the other side of that coin, as we've been saying, the theology of pain. Let's talk about that. Why do some people get healed and others don't? If God is loving and he's all good and he's all powerful, why is there still suffering in this world? Where is God when it hurts? The theology of healing and the theology of pain. I'll give you one wild guess which one Pastor Tim assigned to me before going on vacation. <laughs> No, but seriously, friends, go ahead and turn with me in your Bible to the New Testament gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 8 is found on page 723, and this is an incredible scripture passage that illustrates both the theology of pain and healing in the same picture. In fact, in some of your Bibles, you may actually find this passage under the heading titled, A Dead Girl and a Sick Woman. So let's take a look here at Luke chapter 8, verse 41. And check out what it says here. It says this. Then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue. Now, I just want to pause there for a second, and I just want to call this out. Uh, this man, this ruler of the synagogue, he was a prominent man. This is like the town mayor. This, everyone knew this man of distinction, okay? This very man, the scripture says, came and fell at Jesus' feet pleading. He was begging, okay? This respectable man came running and fell at Jesus' feet begging him to come to his house. Why? Verse 42 says, because his only daughter, his only daughter, a girl of about 12 was, what's the word there? Dying. Now, guys, if you're a parent, I mean, just stop here for a second. This cuts right to the heart. There's nothing more personal, nothing more sensitive as a, as a parent, as a father, as a mother, than when you say that your child is, is dying. I have three girls of my own, nine, seven, and five, and each year, I, I promise you, I fall more in love with them because I see all the promise that lies before them. I'm an old husband, but they, they got life ahead of them. I can't imagine. I can't imagine being the father of a 12-year-old, being told that my daughter is dying. 
The scripture continues, as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. In other words, his ministry was exploding at the time. He is like so popular at this moment. Verse 43, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. In other words, as long as the daughter has been alive, that's how long this woman has suffered with this chronic condition. But no one could heal her. Verse 44 says, she came up behind him and just, just touched, just, just touched the edge of his cloak. And, and what happened? Immediately, her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, well, what are you talking about, Jesus? I mean, like, there's all these crowds. Everyone's rubbing up against you. What are you talking about? Everyone's touching you. What are you talking about? But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that, what's the word there? Power, dunamis, dynamite. Power has gone out from me. Verse 47, then the woman, seeing that she could no longer go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. This is the second person falling at Jesus' feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has, what's the word there, church? Your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Folks, you see what's happening here, right? This is a frantic father dialing 911. He's calling for the ambulance. Why? Because his daughter is dying. This is a red alarm emergency. Meanwhile, this woman with a chronic condition literally reaches out in faith just to touch, just to touch Jesus, and bam, she's immediately healed. And what does Jesus do in, 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 this, in this pressurized situation where, where this girl is dying? He stops to have a chat. Hey, let's just talk here. What, what just happened? What, what's going on here? Now, can you imagine this? If a father right now came running down this aisle with, her, with his daughter in his hand saying, Pastor, stop, Pastor, stop. Oh, my gosh, help me, please. My daughter is dying. If that happened right now, this very minute, and I said, hey, oh, just relax for a second. Hey, can you just take a second? I, I'm in the middle of speaking here. If you just sit to the side, we'll, we'll deal with that in a second. What would you think of me? That I was cold? callous, clueless, right? I and mean, what would you think? But let's just be honest here, okay? This woman who's got this chronic condition, she's had it for 12 years. I mean, is it really so much to ask for five minutes? I mean, can you just deal with that for just for five more minutes while I go heal this dying girl? Which is what makes this next passage, this next verse, so outrageous. Picture this if you're that frantic parent and your child is dying. Verse 49 says this. While Jesus was still chatting, <laughs> someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead. Don't even bother this miracle guy, this Jesus anymore. Folks, can you just even imagine this happening today? I mean, if you were that father, what would you possibly be thinking right now? What would you want to do to that no longer bleeding woman, right? I mean, she sort of cut in front of you. She cut in front of you with a less urgent matter. She got healed, and then she's like delaying things, slowing things down by chatting it up with Jesus. And at that exact moment, at that precise moment, your daughter 
dies. I mean, I don't know about you, but I get kind of bent out of shape when someone cuts in front of me at Home Depot in the self-service line, right? I mean, what, what's happening here? What would you do? How, how would you feel about all this if you were the parent? Now, I get it. I get it. If you grew up in Sunday school, if you cheated and you read ahead, then you all know that Jesus eventually resurrected this girl from the dead. And that's awesome. Praise God. But you know what? Don't miss the point here. Think of this father. Jairus had no idea what would happen next. At this very moment, all he knows is that his daughter is dead. And this bleeding woman, this bleeding woman got healed. Triumph for one, tragedy for another. Power displayed here, ultimate pain over here. So you can see how this passage, it so brilliantly captures the tension, the absolute tension we all feel in life when it comes to the topic, no, actually, the theology of healing and pain. Why does God choose to heal some? Or, or why does he even make some people wait while others get cured instantaneously? I want to go live here for a second and share the story of one couple in our church who is currently living in this tension of seeing and hearing about other people getting healed while wondering if their own situation will even improve. Their names are Nick and Leanne. These are two dear friends of mine. And Nick actually serves as our video producer here at Liquid Church. He has been for the last five years, so he's often behind the scenes. But today, today I've asked him and his wife to step out in front of the camera and share with us a very personal picture from their own story, from their own spiritual journey. See, Nick and Leanne are also the proud parents of three beautiful kids. I'm talking about Samara, 10-year-old girl there in the middle. And then that's Portland, who's three years old, baby boy there. Baby boy uh, Beckett right there, 11 months old. And what's made their journey so special is that their first son, Portland right there, the three-year-old, was diagnosed with autism. And what that means is that he's had a developmental delay all three years of his life so far. He has limited verbal uh, expression, and every week he goes through extensive occupational therapy. You know something? Even though Nick and Leanne have prayed literally thousands upon thousands of prayers, I've prayed with them, okay? Portland still remains on the spectrum. I mean, how do you even begin to process this, Right? Well, let's have them share a page from their story. When we found out we were, I was pregnant and it was a boy, because we already had a girl, um, you just immediately envision Nick taking him to a football game or playing ball in the backyard. and. When you, when you find out that he's autistic, it's immediately stolen from you. And we've learned to look at um, it in a different way now. We have new dreams for him. A couple Sundays ago, Nick was already at work, and I woke up, and the house was quiet, which is very unusual. Portland is usually up before anyone and wakes one of us up. I came downstairs, saw the back door open, and his toys were sitting out on the patio. So 
I ran outside holding Beckett, was screaming for him, which wouldn't necessarily do anything because he doesn't always come to his name. So I called Nick at work um, while we were looking for Portland and he left immediately. Then I called 911. They found him 10 minutes later, so it was the longest 10 minutes of our life. My heart, like, literally just sunk in my chest. I actually thought I was never going to see him again. I, I thought I was never going to see him again. And I remember pulling up to, you know, there were three police officers that were keeping him company at the, the local park. Portland decided he wanted to go to the park, which over half a mile crossing seven streets um, and to get to a park. He was in his pajamas, barefoot, holding a, a little one of those garden American flags. Um, lots of kids I, I've run off. I know that myself as a kid, I've, I've run off before, you know, from my parents, but, um, but you can't communicate with Portland. He doesn't, um, you ask him his name, if you ask him in the right way, he might give you a something that sounds like Portland. Um, and you, you don't, he can't tell you where he lives. Um, and hey, if you've got the right toy, then he'll, he'll more than happily go with you. Why Portland? He can't ask for us. He doesn't know his name necessarily. And so I actually thought he's gone forever. This is, I, I, I didn't think it was gonna come out with good news. We were just depressed. While we're having a really, like the worst day of our lives, like we're going through hell. Um, and then, you know, all I'm getting, all I'm hearing from people at church is, uh, you know, you know, praise God, you know, this woman came in in a wheelchair and now she's come out walking, which is fantastic, like that is fantastic news, but like what does that do to our faith? You know, what does that mean for our prayers? Like uh, our prayers don't, um, aren't, aren't working or they, you know, God doesn't hear it, is He not listening to us? What does that mean for us? Do our prayers not work? Does God even hear them? What does that mean for us? Folks, I don't want you to miss this, okay? Two families desperate for healing. One literally rolls into a service on Sunday for the first time, is prayed for, and gets up. Another family, okay, on that same exact Day. Don't miss the irony. On that same exact day, another family who's been, uh, another man who's been here for every single service for the last five years bolts out of that same service because his autistic son, whom he and his wife pray for every single day, wandered off and went missing. One situation got better, another situation hit an all-time low, yet both were covered in prayer, I promise you. <laughs> it's like the bleeding woman, right? I mean, she must have been thrilled, and why not? Rightfully so, she was immediately healed. We all long for these moments of victory, but at that same exact time, Jairus was crushed. Because his daughter died. I mean, how do we reconcile these two realities? What I want to show you next is the key to, to making sense of this a little bit. How many of you know the saying, the thrill of victory and the agony of 
defeat. Yes, you watched television in the 70s, wide world of sports. Okay, you just revealed your age. But anyways, guys, listen to me. In the same way, a lot of us need to know that the Christian life is exactly like that. The thrill of victory. I mean, we love it when Jesus goes around and he makes the lame man walk and the blind see, and that's awesome. Oh, we can go to Hebrews 11, and we see all the heroes of faith and how they shut the mouths of the lions. They, they quenched the fury of the flames. They became powerful in battle and, and defeated the foreign enemies, right? All that stuff, it's great. In this life, we all long for that miraculous breakthrough, the thrill of victory. We all love that. But do you know that there are other heroes of faith in Hebrews 11? Yeah, there are heroes that faced jeers and floggings, were chained and imprisoned. They were stoned. They were actually sawed in half, destitute, persecuted, and rejected and mistreated. See, following Jesus includes the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. Just as you taste the power of God in one area of your life, you're confronted with the pain and the reality of the world, this broken world, in another. And you see, this is the big idea. We live in two parallel tracks. The Christian life runs on two parallel tracks, power and pain, victory and defeat. The bleeding woman is instantly healed. That's amazing. That's awesome. The little girl dies. Rosalie gets up from her wheelchair and takes baby steps. Praise God. Three-year-old Portland walks out of his house across seven streets. The thrill of victory, the agony of defeat. To see God's power poured out and yet to taste the bitter pain of this broken world that we live in. This is where we live. We live in this space in between. That's where we live. For every Rosalie, there is a Portland. For every Paul that's miraculously saved from prison, there's a James who actually dies in prison. The Christian life is lived between these two places, power and pain, victory and defeat. And right now, we live in the space between. We're caught between those two worlds, living on twin tracks, the track of power and the track of pain. In fact, the Bible actually reminds us, it goes out of its way to remind us that currently the world we live in is actually dominated by the evil one. 1 Peter 5.8 says this, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. In other words, as followers of Jesus, we are still under attack, which explains the present reality and suffering and pain in our lives and those whom we love. In fact, in John chapter 10, Jesus says this. These are Jesus' words, not mine. He says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I, Jesus, have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You see, so on one hand, you have the enemy of our soul, the devil, whose only purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. But on the other hand, you have Jesus who wants to heal, he has come to restore and redeem and bless, to bring us and our world back to the Father as he intended. <laughs> but I don't know about you, 
I don't know what your daily uh, day looks like, your week looks like. I don't know what your world looks like, but I am constantly reminded, even this morning, I am constantly reminded that we have a heinous enemy. (laughs) Like last week, I want to share this with you, okay? Last week, I went to the emergency room of the Morristown Memorial Hospital. Why? Because I was visiting with a mom and her 12-year-old daughter who tried to take her own life drinking rubbing alcohol. Do you not think we prayed for healing then? Emotional and physical? Uh, The mom is actually here with us today. (laughs) Meanwhile, I know of no less than five couples right now that are going through the painful experience of divorce, just absolutely ripping through their families right now. It is absolutely devastating. We are praying for miracles in all five situations. And just this past week alone, just this past week alone, I received over 50 emails specifically dealing with physical healing. That was just me. I'm not even talking about all the other pastors here. Just for me. And and by the way, that is not an overstatement. I am not exaggerating. I literally counted over 50 emails in the last six days. See, guys, the cold, hard truth is this. (laughs) We're saved by the power of God, but we still live in a broken world. C.S. Lewis put it this way. Enemy-occupied territory, that's what this world is. And you may think, but wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought Jesus came and he destroyed Satan, sin, and death. You know, by his wounds, we're healed. Amen, that is completely true. Yes, he did. But let's be clear. Let's be absolutely clear. Satan, sin, and death have been defeated by Jesus, but they are not fully destroyed right now. You and I currently live in between the first and second coming of Jesus Christ. I want you to think of it this way. You want to talk about the theology of healing and pain? You want to talk about that? Theologian Oscar Coleman compares it to the time in World War II between V-Day and D-Day, right? Maybe you've heard Pastor Tim share about this in the past. I think it's so helpful. You all know what D-Day is, right? Maybe you saw the movie Saving Private Ryan, right? See, what most Christians don't understand or what we tend to forget is this. We live in a war zone today. We do not live in a playground. This is not Disney World. We live in a war zone. We live in the time between the great invasion, Christ's first coming, and the final victory, Christ's second coming. And in World War II, just like in World War II, when the Allied forces invaded Normandy, D-Day, right? D-Day, positionally, the Nazis knew this was the beginning of the end. It's over. It's all but over. And so does Satan. He knows that as well. But like Satan, Hitler kept on fighting. And before V-Day, the ultimate victory day, when Germany formally surrendered and the Allied uh, companies, they, 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 they claimed complete victory, the war raged on and it claimed many lives. In fact, did you know that the fighting was the fiercest in between that time of D-Day and V-Day, roughly a year? And in between that time, in that space between, is when there were the most casualties, even more than all of the war combined. And guys, this is where we live today. 
We live in the time between the greatest invasion, Christ's first coming, him dying on the cross, him conquering Satan, sin, and death. We live in between that and the final victory, Christ's second coming, when he destroys Satan for good. But right now, the fighting is the fiercest today. And so in our context, what this means, practically speaking, is that young mothers still lose their babies to miscarriage. Babies are still born with disabilities. Cancer and dementia still ravage the elderly. People still suffer inexplicably because our enemy, Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Again, enemy-occupied territory. That's what the world is. But, 1 John says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Amen. So right now, when we pray, we don't give up. We don't give up. Even though, no matter how bad it looks, we join Jesus with great confidence. Though bloodied, though discouraged at times, we know the final outcome. His kingdom has invaded. He has established a beachhead. We are advancing forward no matter how bloody. And Christ the King is coming to claim ultimate victory. Amen? Amen. Amen. See, folks, that's the secret. That is the secret. The theology of healing and the theology of pain are combined in the theology of the cross. That's where they meet head to head. Everlasting healing trumps. It eventually overcomes temporary pain. So yes, yes, for the time being, in this space between that we live, in between D-Day and V-Day, can I be honest with you? Can I just share a secret with you that I'm not supposed to share? Can I just do this right now? I want to share this secret with you. No one knows exactly why. God chooses to heal in this situation and not this. That's the truth. Anyone who says to you they know the secret formula of why God does this and why, they are lying to you. That's a lie. That's a lie. Because we've all been touched. We've all been in situations where we pray desperately, where the children of God pray desperately for healing. They lift up faithful prayers. But it looks like nothing happens. But you know what? Here's the deal. You can't just go on experience. We can't put our faith in experience alone because, because, listen to me, follow me here, because at the cross, at the focal point of our faith, right dead center, in the crosshairs, at the cross, we are reminded that it is so clear that momentary pain, the experience of momentary pain was actually the starting point of everlasting healing. Amen. Does that make sense? It was at the cross where it looked the worst. 
that God was doing his absolute best. When things looked their absolute worst, think of how the disciples must have felt. They dropped everything. They left their family. They left their careers. And they followed this miracle man all over the place as he performed these miracles left and right. And suddenly this miracle man couldn't save himself from hanging on the cross. Do you think they said, uh-oh, do you think they were like, oh my gosh, this is, not, this is not how it's supposed to go down. But it's right there at the cross, at that very place, Jesus hanging on the cross, that all our hopes of eternity, all our dreams for a day where one day there will be no more crying, no more tears of pain, that was right there on that day that all our dreams for paradise actually came true. Right there at the cross when it looked the worst. And we need to remember that, folks. We need to remember that. We live in that tension right there today, but not forever. Not forever. As theologian Alistair McGrath put it, as with the cross, our darkest hour may be God's finest moment. Amen? Our darkest hour may be God's finest moment as it was at the cross. See, even the apostle Paul, arguably the most strong you know, man of faith throughout all the New Testament, he, he wrote nearly half the New Testament books, right? He himself even resurrected someone from the dead after that person fell asleep during one of his messages. I'm still trying to figure that one out, okay? Even, even he... Even he suffered just unbearably. No one knows what exactly the suffering was, but he begged, he pleaded with God, take away this thorn from my flesh, take it away, take it away, over and over and over and over again. He asked, he begged, he pleaded with God, this man of God, this anointed man of God, asked God, take away this pain. And what was the Lord's response? My grace is sufficient for you. For my what? Power is made perfect in what? Weakness, the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat, every single one of us, I promise you, will experience both in this life. So you see, at the end of the day, Jesus on the cross, he gets the final word. Not our experiences, Jesus gets the final word. Power and pain with purpose. Experience cannot have the final word, even if the situation actually looks like it's getting worse. Know that God's plan is greater. That's the message of the cross. Everlasting power trumps temporary pain. D-Day, V-Day. Jesus gets the final word. It is finished. And this is why I so cherish Nick and Leanne's story. You see, because even after all they've been through, living in this tension, living in this space between D-Day and V-Day, power and pain, it's the theology of the cross that gives them ultimate hope. Listen to the rest of their story. 
So when we found out we were pregnant with our third child, um, immediately, of course we're happy, but immediately we think, let's hope it's a girl because there's less chances of a girl having autism than a boy. The percentage is lower. So already I feel like we were we were going into this with torn feelings, very much like excited, but also very afraid. And when we got the ultrasound that it was a boy, again, excited, but immediately afraid again. Beckett is 11 months old and he has so far hit all of his milestones. We're constantly looking for them, but recently we've started to notice that he's not always looking when we call his name or feel like he's a little bit regressing or just slowing down or not progressing maybe. And normally I wouldn't, if this was Portland, back when Portland was this age, I didn't think anything of something like this, but now having gone through what we have with Portland, I'm petrified that Beckett will also be autistic. So spiritually, we're just feeling torn because of, we pray for Beckett, we pray for his safety um, more so right now. We're praying that he's not autistic as well, but we prayed for Portland and, and it doesn't feel like that got us anywhere. Having grown up in church all my life um, and you know, I've heard many different theologies on, on pain and suffering and healing. Uh, many wrong theologies uh, <laughs> that I have to believe is wrong because um, you know there almost uh, sometimes feels like there's something wrong with you that you haven't received healing. You know sometimes we don't understand why. Sometimes we you know in many cases we won't understand why. Um, and I can be angry about that. Uh, I can feel hurt. I can feel like God's not there sometimes. At the end of the day I have to believe that there is value uh, in the pain and in the suffering. Uh, because I look at Jesus and I look at what he did for us on the cross and um, he understands suffering more than anyone. He proved that by coming and dying on the cross. Uh, so that's a perfect example of pain with purpose. That is pretty incredible, isn't it? Nick and Leanne have no idea if their second son Beckett is going to have autism or not. They just, they don't know. But guess what? They're not going to get bitter. They're not going to stop praying, and neither should any of us, because we still believe that God has the power to heal. Amen? Amen. If not in this life, then surely, surely in the life ahead. So we still pray for Portland, and at Liquid, we pray for every single child, special needs or not, because we believe that God, who has the power to make the mute speak, can still give words to a nonverbal child immediately by the touch of his hand. Amen? We don't lose heart. No way. We don't lose heart. In fact, Pastor Tim, he's going to be here next week. He's going to conclude this amazing series by talking about anointing the sick with oil because that's what the Bible, that's another thing that the Bible teaches us to do if we're seeking healing. 
to go to God and, and, and to anoint the sick with oil. We don't give up. We continue to press in. We continue to pray. But don't miss. Don't miss what Nick said at the end of that video there. Listen to his voice of hope. He said that he, Jesus, understands suffering more than anyone. He proved that by coming and dying on the cross. It's the perfect example of pain with purpose. The cross is God's way of showing us that temporary pain has an eternal purpose. This is what gives Christians hope in the midst of suffering. This is what is at the center of our faith. Pain and healing, you see them both at the cross, the cross of Christ. The Bible tells us that three days after Jesus endured the worst possible pain known to mankind, I'm talking about the crucifixion, that he appeared with ultimate power in the resurrection. You don't get the resurrection without the crucifixion. And so you and I, we need to know that that power is available for you, for you, for you, and for me, and for all those who put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. See, folks, the pain and power of the cross, this is something that we celebrate as Christians. This is something that we remember when we come to the communion table. That's what it's about. We're remembering, we're celebrating that Christ's perfect body was broken for us, that his precious blood was spilt for us, and that he experienced an unspeakable pain. Why? For the purpose of displaying his ultimate power and giving us our ultimate healing in heaven. This is the theology of the cross. Power and pain wrapped up in one. That's what we celebrate and remember as believers. Only the Christian God, only the Christian God loves us so much that he allowed his only son, Jesus Christ, to suffer so that we might be saved, so that we might be delivered and healed for eternity. Amen? Amen. So today what we're going to do across all of our liquid campuses as a way of affirming our belief that temporary pain actually has an eternal purpose in Christ Jesus, today what we're going to do is experience communion together. And that purpose was revealed for us. We're going to remember this, that Jesus Christ revealed his purpose for us as our Lord and as our Savior and as our ultimate healer. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, I just want to pray for the chislets. I love these guys. I love these guys, Lord. And I just pray, Father, that you would be with them, that you would bring healing, and that you would bring it soon. Anoint them. Anoint Portland and little Beckett and Samara as well, Lord. Be with the chislets. Be with Nick and Leanne. And Lord, uh, be with the families that, that they represent today the families that are uh, living in this tension in between, this world between power and pain, victory and defeat. Lord, your word says that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? This is our hope today. This is our hope. Help us to remember this as we receive your son's body broken for us, his precious blood spilled for us. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen.
Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.